What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, it, is, uh, it is a time of reflection. Uh, the end of the school year, graduation. Uh, you probably have children maybe that are moving up in grades. Um, and if that's not the case, summer still kind of feels like you have annual trips. It's sort of a, uh, a new year in a different way, right? It's always a time at the beginning of summer to look back. Um, Maybe not. Maybe you're just experiencing the loss uh, or the start of a new job. Um, maybe you've reached a significant birthday, one of those round numbers, you know, those daunting round numbers. Um, maybe you've just been ordained as a deacon. Uh, where are our deacons somewhere out here, right? There, there are these, there, there. There are these moments that sort of cause you to, to reflect and look back, um, to think about where you are. Um, but there's something particular about them, uh, like the end of the year or graduating, um, is that you're, you're sort of in this in-between space where you've left one thing, but you haven't quite gone to the next one. Um, and so it's sometimes called a liminal space. Is that a familiar phrase to anybody? Yeah, I see a few nods, a few confused looks. Okay. So, I mean, that's what it is. It's nothing magical. It's just I'm in this in-between space. I haven't left the one I was in yet totally, um, and I haven't quite yet entered the new one. And so if you're a student here, probably no matter what, you're sort of in that place. Um, but but I, I raise that because that's, that's kind of where we've landed for the disciples and Jesus at this moment. They're, they're sort of moving out of the ministry, and, and Angelo talked more about that last week. They're, there's sort of significant things happening that are pointing to, oh, this is different. Jesus is starting to talk about his death. Uh, but they're not quite yet in Gethsemane, right? They haven't yet quite gone through to what really is next. Um, so so we, we all know these places, um, and, and there are times of, of where we reflect. And one of the ways we reflect is we just kind of ask ourselves, like, what, what is the significance of my life? I mean, not to put it into too big a terms, but that's kind of what you're doing, right? Uh, when you leave high school, there is a sense in which you know that should be a question you're asking more, maybe. Um, and, and I, I would imagine, too, for, for our deacons, um, you know, there's a sense in which, what have I entered into? Am I equipped for this? Uh, do, have I, what, what will make me a good deacon? Uh, you know, so you have these questions of, what is significance? Um, how do I know that, that my life has meaning? Uh, I mean, the way the passage puts it is, how, do I, how will I know if I'm great or not? Uh, that's kind of what all those graduation speeches are about, right? And I'm sorry if you gave one. I don't mean to insult you, but they're all pretty bad, generally, right? Um, and I'm sure yours was the exception, you know. Uh, but they're all sort of about that, right? Like, hey, here's how you know you can have significance in life. Just do these little, follow these little cliches, and, and it'll all work out. Um, for a moment, I thought about giving a sermon uh, from the view of if Jesus gave a graduation speech. Um, but... 
you know, you can all be grateful that I that that thought quickly left my mind. Um, but but we're all we're all fa- if you're not facing this question, I just want to invite you into that liminal space now where the disciples and Jesus are. What makes my life significant? What how how do I know that my life has any meaning? Um, but but significance. Hold on to like significance. Meaning sort of has a different. But what makes me significant? That's kind of what I think this greatness question is about. It's about significance, right? What, what makes my life significant? Um, that's the question we're facing. So, so Jesus and his disciples, as I say, are entering this liminal space. Um, Jesus has, he, you'll notice he's telling them, he's foretelling his death, and the disciples don't get it at all, right? It's like, I mean, if somebody in my life said, hey, you know, in X number of days, I'm probably going to die, and I was like, yeah, let's go to O'Neill's and get some, like, some potato salad. Like, that's kind of what's happening, you know? It, they just don't get it. They don't want to get it. We don't get a lot of understanding as to why they don't get it. I mean, we can, we can hypothesize, but they don't get it. Um, but, but they do have a sense that, that they're, they're on the verge of something. Jesus' kingdom, his ministry, is sort of about to arrive at something. And for the disciples and for the... For the Jewish faith, it really was a very, it's a, it's a political, physical, spiritual kingdom that they're expecting. Um, the, the kingdom coming was a hopeful, present reality, uh, a new government. And so that, that's why the disciples are thinking about greatness, um, about significance, because they're expecting there to be a real kingdom to come. And what's funny, it's funny the different gospel writers, right? Matthew doesn't give us this, but Mark, if you look at Mark's account of this, this moment, What's happening right before this is that Jesus catches the disciples arguing about who among them is the greatest. Uh, you all probably know that moment. It's not in Matthew's account, but, um, and so Jesus, you know, they're arguing. I mean, just imagine with your group of friends or coworkers arguing about who among you is the greatest or a group of students. I'm the greater student. No, I'm the greater student, you know. I don't know how that conversation goes, but it's silly, whatever it is. And that's what the disciples are doing. Um, and, and so Jesus knows this debate's going on, and so that's where we land now at the passage that, that uh, Lucia read. Um, Jesus, Jesus addresses this debate with verse 1. He says, who then, is greatest, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he engages, what he's doing is he's engaging them with a contrast, right? Jesus is not just pontificating, like sort of philosophizing about greatness as an idea. He, he wants to, to confront their understanding of greatness and significance and say, no, 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 think about it in this way. Um, that what, what is greatness in the kingdom of heaven? It's a contrast. Uh, you're arguing about a certain kind of greatness. I want you to see a different kind. Um, and it looks like this. And so then Jesus sort of does these, one of these sort of acted out parables. That's kind of how you can think about what he does next. Um, he brings a child before them. And, and he notice that he physically locates a child uh, among them so that that, you know, you can imagine this group of people, they're standing around, and they're, they're then, their eyes are sort of they're looking down at a little, little child is the adjective, um, a little, this little dependent person. Now, it's important that we, we get into the mind of the ancient Near East here for a little bit, out of our American mindset. Um, when, when you and I, if we were to bring up a child here, um, instantly what would happen is that like what happens during the, our, our, you know, our Christmas pageant when the, you know, the smallest of our children sing for us? We're, we're just delighted, right? It is, it is like the crowning moment of the whole program, let's be honest. Um, our little kids are up here because what, what we see in children is we see cuteness, we see innocence, 
right? You know, most, for the most part, we see, we see possibility about like what's gonna happen next for them. Um, but, but for the ancient Near East point of view, um, it's just a little bit different. They, they, when they see a child, they, they don't see this cuteness, this innocence. That's all replaced by leastness, by, by lastness, by a total lack of significance. One commentator put it like this. Uh, he, he, he wrote um, that an ancient Near East person would see a child as a loser <laughs> to kind of like help you grasp it, right? Sorry, children, right? You're all losers, right, in the eyes of, of this moment. A loser. Uh, it's kind of, it's very different from our point of view. So the disciples are after this sort of significance that, that really is very instinctive to us, right? That their version of greatness comes through accomplishment, right? A position, authority. Uh, but, but Jesus presents kind of a rebu- rebuke of that. He says, here is greatness. Here is a significance that is lowly, that is dependent, that is the humility of a loser. Here, here is a child. This is a picture of greatness in my kingdom. Become like lowly like this child. Become the kind of person that accepts uh, these. And that is entrance into my kingdom. Greatness of the world comes through ascent. I go up. The greatness of my kingdom, Jesus says, comes as you go downward through descent. Uh, so, so in other words, here's, here's what a follower of Jesus has come to accept. Uh, a follower of Jesus has made a decision about significance in your life. Um, on the one hand, you can seek the kind of greatness that comes through power and success, or you can seek the kind of greatness that comes through dependence and leastness. A follower of Jesus has made a decision about those two things. So, so you should be asking, if you're coming at this passage honestly, why on earth would I follow Jesus? I mean, you shouldn't have it so worked out so neatly that you don't see what Jesus is really telling you. I actually thought that might get a little bit of laugh, but it's actually more serious, I suppose. <laughs> um, why on earth have you chosen to follow Jesus? Do you see what he's telling you? Your life, achievement, greatness in your life comes through descent. That's following Christ. Um, and so, so I spent the last couple of weeks working through this. I tried um, so that you, don't, you didn't have to. This is part of my job. I, I went into every place I could bring my mindset to it, like where I was going into go grocery shopping, where I was going to a birthday party. Um, I tried to enter those places with the mindset of what would it be like for me to just be a child in this place, like to enter into that, that loserness. Um, how, how would I behave differently if I wasn't grasping for power in this conversation? Um, where, 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 where in this party right now am I trying to achieve greatness? Like these are the questions I was trying to ask myself. Um, and so don't be too impressed. I was totally unsuccessful at coming up with any good answers to those questions. Um, partly because I think I'm, I'm totally blind to the ways that I try to grasp for power in my life. Um, and there's a whole thing there, right, that some of you are thinking about, like, yeah, sure, we knew that. Um, uh, power in the abstract is hard to grasp at, too, um, partly because it's, it's hard for, to dislodge your need to feel significant without moving to self-pity, right? Like, there's a protective thing about saying, like, I'm going to go descend and not look for significance here that doesn't then, for me, knee-jerk go, like, 
just having a little pity party about myself, right? I don't really have like an in-between switch. I'm either like significant or I'm nothing. You know, it's kind of the way I found out about myself. Um, so, so here's, here's, thankfully Jesus is a good teacher. So here's what is so important about this passage. Jesus, the next couple of verses are really important. Verse, starting in verse five. Um, so he brings the child, he says, become like this child. And then verse five, he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. That's an easy one to just fly over. Uh, and then just, just the next verse, if anyone causes one of these little ones, so remember this little one is standing in front of physical person in the flesh. Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So greatness and significance by ascent, by power. This is what I learned as you look at Jesus. Um, greatness and significance by ascent, by power, always comes at the cost of people. So, so if you're operating out of that paradigm, then by definition, the only way for you to move up to have significance in life is by putting other people below you. But that's, part of what, that's why he's tying it into welcoming others. If you operate under the world's understanding of significance, you can't have it unless you also grind up people underneath your feet. Uh, so in your family, at your place of work, at school, with your group of friends, um, with your neighbors, at your church, your significance, if it's by ascent, will always be competing, this is another way of saying it, will always be competing with everybody else's. And some of you know that kind of situation. Some of you work in a place like that, right? I don't have to spell it out for you. Like, oh yeah, that's my, that's my series of offices, right? Um, some of you know that, that's my group of friends. Um, but, but when you welcome the least, when you care for the least, you, you cease to pass over them. Um, and, and more than that, the way of Jesus says you count yourself among them. You count yourself among people who seem less significant than you. Um, and so this is the genius. Jesus is a genius. He's a genius teacher. Uh, I, I, man, if I, like teachers in the room, man, like look at, I don't know, it's a little bit hard to cross over. But Jesus, like just appreciate, he's a genius the way he teaches. Because what I tried to do in these little places I was going was, was try to deal with an abstraction, right? The abstract idea of power and relationships in the abstract. Jesus brings a person, a child before the disciples, and he forces them by bringing that person to them, he forces them to consider, why are you reluctant to identify with this person? Um, why you're reluctant to love this little insignificant person, this flesh and blood before you? Right? It's one thing to say like, hey, stop grasping for power in the abstract, right? It's another thing if you stand in front of a person and say, why am I trying to make myself more than this person? Right? The physicality that Jesus brings, he confronts them with their own hearts. So, so have, you, have you made this decision about the significance in your life is it by ascent or by descent? What, one way, sort of a black light that might reveal the stains of your grasping for power. I know that's kind of gross, but I think it's appropriate. Um, what, what's one way to kind of shine that black light on, on how you're grasping for power and ascent in your life? Um, you, you might notice some simple things. Uh, 
who are you really impatient with? Who do you just not have the time for, right? Like, just, just come on, just go, let's go. Uh, I, I experience that every Sunday in the lobby. My heart is racing past people. I know I'm not the only one, I hope. <laughs> right? you're, you're on to the next person. You're ready to move past. Um, where, where maybe is a person's messiness in your life kind of weighing you down? Where does it just feel like, I just don't have time for this person's mess? It's slowing me up. It's too messy. Um, or maybe here's another way to get at it uh, for you go-getters. Who are the people that you are just like trying to fix in your life? Um, so you can sort of move on from them, right? I need you to be done with this problem so that I can move on. And that's everything from like, hey, stop loading the dishwasher wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not just big stuff. It's like, it's, I just need you to be fixed so I can stop having to think about you so much. Um, that's everything from that to like, hey, I need you to stop this destructive cyclical behavior, right? Uh, I'm not talking about the dishwasher. I'm talking, right, that's bigger things, right? Um, so sort of in short, the black light that shows how we're grasping for power is like our need to control, right? We need to fix people. We need to speed them up. We need to move past them. There's this like, there's ascent always has control right there with it. So, so let me just return back to that question. Why on earth would you want to take the path of Jesus? Um, and here's, here's kind of the one takeaway I just, I have for you before we, we move to the table. Um, Jesus teaches us that greatness in life is a choice. Listen, it's a choice between control and love. You can grasp for control or you can descend into love, but you can't have both. You cannot have both. You're trying to control people in your life. You won't be able to love them. So that, that's the invitation. That's why I want to descend with Jesus. Um, and, and by the way, just uh, real quick before we move on, Lucia asked, I was talking to Lucia on the way over, and she said, so does that mean I'm supposed to avoid success? It's a really good question. Thank you, teenager. Um, yeah. <laughs> so does that mean like, I'm just supposed to like, let everybody walk all over me? Does that mean I'm not supposed to have any sort of go, like, go do things well? No, no. So, so and I think this is a common, like we, we misunderstand where Jesus is, is, is leading us. Um, it just means that our, our success is in service to our love, not the other way around, Right? It just means that, that what we achieve in life um, is not master and, and then love comes second. Success is in service to love. Um, if you want a picture of this, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Marcella, um, but, but what, what the McManuses are doing at, at the deli is, is a picture of it. Um, and I, I'm sorry, you're like also sort of like by yourself there. I didn't mean to put you in the spotlight. <laughs> Um, hey, we all want Giuliano's to be successful, right? That's not anti, what, that's not what Jesus is telling it. Like, hey, you need to drive that business into the ground. No, no, no. <laughs> be successful, but, but run your, your business, treat your employees in such a way that, that love, love is the primary engine, right? 
Um, caring for people is the primary engine of that business. Their success of that business is, is in service to the love that they're giving to their employees and the love that they're giving to their community and the way that's a place for the least lost and losers of Glenside. And truly, right? So hear me, graduates. I'm not telling you, Jesus is not telling you don't be successful, but don't let your success master your love, right, and lead it. Um, so so let, let, me just, um, uh, let me just read Henry Nouwen on this because he, he's so good and so right. Um, he says, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Um, and this is in your outline too. Maybe it is that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Right, see, that, that makes me, I'm ready to descend with Jesus, right? Like that convicts me, I want to go follow him. Um, it seems easier to be God than to love God, easier to control people than to love people, easier to own life than to love life. The long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross. Lord have mercy. Being a leader over being led. Those who resist, resisted this temptation to the end and thereby give us hope are the true saints. And so, so I hope this is now the context, right? As just, just like a, a couple, like one community application and then one personal, and then we'll go to the table. This is why Jesus' next language that seems so strange and like, Jesus, this is weird, and it is weird. Like, I'm not trying to say it's, it's, you should just be fine with it about, about the, the cutting off of limbs. But, but what he's saying is like, hey, there's, there's two paths of significance in life. They're mutually exclusive. You can have power or humility. You can have control or love. You can have both. And so this vivid, disturbing imagery about what you should do if you find yourself on the wrong path of power um, is, is so important because of the consequences if we lead people to a path of power that grinds others under their feet. That's why Jesus is so severe about this, um, because he knows what the consequences are of a community that ascends for significance rather de than descends. Are we a community of faith that leads people to graduate, to progress out of their humble state, to become successes? Is, is our church a place that uses the language of Scripture laid over the recipes of the world to inspire broken, humble sinners to become successful, put-together Americans. And if, if we are, now you know why Jesus is so severe about this. Because we know that the church in America is, is, is immersed in this, right? And Jesus says, it's just, God help us. He says, the exchange we're making will be one of power and success and control at the cost of love. So Jesus says it's better to become less. It's better to cut ourselves back down to leastness than to proceed forward as successful people. And, and just by the way, in case you're, you're wrestling with this, I mean, it's, why, hey, why context is always important. Jesus is giving a series of images, right? The child, um, the, the cutting, cutting, cutting out of yourself, um, and next the sheep. Right, so if you read in context, he, clearly Jesus is not, he, no more than he's telling you to become an actual sheep or to transform your adult body into a child, he's not telling you to actually harm yourself. It just needs to be said, right? Jesus is using imagery to help us understand. Um, context is important. Uh, so, 
uh, I, and I just felt it was important to underline this um, on a day in which we ordain new leaders in the church and celebrate uh, new graduates last Sunday. Um, your greatness in our community, your great, may it be true of us, Lord Jesus, help us, that greatness in our community will come through humility. Uh, so, so deacons, we employ you to serve us by being humble children among us. Amen? Deacons, we, we, we employ you to serve, follow the descent of Jesus as you serve us. Graduates, become great in this church by, by descending down into a life of love and service. And, and congregation, uh, love our leaders in such a way that you don't expect great deeds or demonstrations of outward significance. Let, let us not be a congregation that seeks that out from our leaders, but that we, we long to see leaders who just don't overlook others. Right? That's what we want to see. We want to see our, uh, the leaders by, who don't ascend over anybody. So, um, so how do you begin? Uh, if you're, you're sort of wrestling with this, maybe you're convicted about the way you're, you're, you're living a life of ascent rather than descent. Um, here's the way in, and here's, here's the path to the, to the Lord's Supper this morning. Verse 12 um, how do you begin? Jesus ends this little passage with a beautiful picture of a, of a lost sheep. So here's how you begin. Um, you, you get lost. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of, sort of funny, right? But it's, it's, this is what Jesus tells us to do. He says, look to the shepherd. The shepherd is coming. Uh, what, what does a little child and a lost sheep have in common? They're, they're the least, they're the lost. They can do nothing on their own but be, but be found and upheld by the shepherd. Uh, a little child, brothers and sisters, cannot will herself to adulthood no more than a lost sheep can throw off its instinctive helplessness without a shepherd or flock. It's precisely in your lowliness, it's precisely in your lostness that we are found. Uh, your lostness this morning is your qualification to be found. Uh, that's, that's not advice. You're not supposed to take that now and go and prove yourself with that information. The lost ones can do nothing to make themselves found. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, and so we turn and look. The shepherd is coming. The shepherd has come for us. The shepherd is a, is a terrible businessman. Do you know that? He leaves the 99. He's not concerned with efficiency. He hunts for the lost ones. Uh, your goal and your aim is to not be the 99 this morning. The, the 99 in the parable are a two-dimensional prop in the story. Your goal is to not be found among the 99. You are to be the lost one. That's how you get found by the shepherd. The shepherd, Jesus, lowers himself and he comes, he comes least so that he can be found among us. Um, let me just let me end with these, these words from, from Robert Capon. Uh, trust him. This is on your outline. Trust him. And when you have done that, you are living the life of grace. No matter what happens to you in the course of that trusting, no matter how many waverings you may have, no matter how many suspicions that you have bought a poke with no pig in it, by the way, 
Does anybody know that expression? Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm out of it then. If you don't know what a poke, a poke with no pig, it means like you've bought something that you didn't, you didn't actually evaluate what it was, right? You didn't actually look and see what it was. I had to Google it, I'll be honest. Um, no matter how many waverings you may have, no matter how many suspicions that you have bought a poke with no pig in it, no matter how much heaviness and sadness your lapses, vices, indispositions, and bratty whining may cause you, you believe simply that somebody else, by his death and resurrection, has made it all right, and you just say thank you and shut up. <laughs> the whole slop closet full of mildewed performances, which is all you have to offer, is simply your death. It is Jesus who is your life. If, you refuse to con- if he refused to condemn you because your works were rotten, he certainly isn't going to flunk you because your faith isn't so hot. You can utterly fail, therefore, and still live the life of grace. You can fold up spiritually, morally, or intellectually and still be safe because at the very worst, all you can do is be dead. And for him who is the resurrection and the life, that, that just makes you his cup of tea. Let us be sheep this morning. It's time to be sheep. It's time to be least. It's time to be small. Let's look to the shepherd. Let's look to the shepherd. Amen. Amen. Um, as, a, as an invitation to the table um, this morning, I wanted to read to you. Uh, this, is, uh, this is from the Heidelberg, Heidelberg Catechism. This is question 75. This is your, your invitation. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. Now hear this. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body, so surely, as sure as your eyes see these elements, brothers and sisters, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. 